welcome to Mo Man Talk. I'm your host, Shiso Mwah. On today's guest, he has over 18 years of experience in leadership, positioning with responsibility toward the development and implementation of diversity, inclusion, and cultural competence within both educational and healthcare institutions. Are you looking for the latest Hmong-inspired menswear? Well, look no further. Shiso's menswear makes suit accessories, apparels, and you can find them at www.mwah.com. XIXOMenswear.com. Everyone, we are super excited today. We have a gentleman that's from the Midwest. We all like for you to welcome Mr. Lor Lee. Welcome, man. Hey, Nya Jong. Thank you for having me. This is uh, going to be a wonderful opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, wow, it's the right? Yeah. Deeply as there. And this year's been a little crazy, right? With our COVID and everything that's been happening, it's nothing's normal. <laughs> so it's only people as all the all your normal markers to the year is out of the window. And that's what we're gonna talk about. What can we make this coming year not normal and be the best version of yourself? Maybe give us insights. Um, you know, Lore, Mr. Lee here. Lore, you're in your early 40s. Mm-hmm. We're kids, beautiful family. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you basically grew up in Minnesota, but was born in Bobby Yeah. Tell us one thing we don't know about you, man. <laughs> one or multiple? I don't think many people know much about me. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, well, uh, I used to be in a singing group uh, called LY5, made up of my two brothers and my two cousins. Uh, so Pechi Lang and we uh, back in this was back in early 2000s we would uh, sing a cappella you know uh, mm-hmm. we had a couple of recordings that we released out there uh, probably one of the first or few Hmong a cappella groups uh, at that time probably still today and uh, and then after that I would say I'm like I'm gonna give you a bonus here uh, I also sent you, and you probably saw it in there, but I also started and played with my brothers and cousins and others on a football, flag football team. When it first came back onto the scene back in the early 2000s, a team called IDK. And so we started the team IDK. Uh, we at one point had about a hundred players on the team. <laughs> yeah, right? So we had enough for like three teams. But people just wanted to join the team and be part of the uh, the team, and we had fairly good success. Uh, so there's two things right there for you. Wow, there's no problem for subbing, man. There's enough for your team to verse each other's team, the same team. You know, go and play it, and there's enough subs to go around. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. We we would often have good scrimmages. I mean, sometimes our team, the teammates, would often say, you know, the the most I had to work was not in the game but in our own practices and scrimmages you know because of the level of competition on our team what position would you play i mean you're a pretty smaller slightly bigger hefty guy maybe a linemate or something no i was the quarterback you were the qb you got a right arm or a left arm could throw huh uh i was decent not super strong arm but uh accurate enough accuracy uh, accuracy is key right mm-hmm. and it's all it's also about being smart behind the behind the center right uh, mm-hmm. I was also imagine about 60 to 70 pounds lighter than I am today. So, <laughs> Oh, that's why I assume I'm like maybe a big alignment or something that's standing no. in the middle. No, after four kids and 
you know, X amount of time being away from being active, the weight starts to add on. <laughs> uh, adding on top of that, and the senior position of KY5, because that was your band that still goes a decade now. What were you in the position there? Uh, LY5. And yeah, yeah. So that's why L stands for Lee, Y stands for Ya, so five. And I sang bass. You were so, bass. Yeah. So we then, all five of us sang uh, in high, throughout high school uh, in, in the school choirs. And so that's how we kind of figured, all right, well, we just happen to have five guys who know how to sing and sing different parts in the uh, men's choir. And so let's, let's try this out and see, <laughs> see what we can do. So. And there was a recent song that's recently just surfaced on that on YouTube. If you haven't, yeah, you can follow LL5 on YouTube. That'd be great. <laughs> There's a yeah, couple of songs more. my cousin Ming has just put out there. Uh, we've, we've stayed away from just putting stuff out for a long time. I don't know why, I guess it's just been, um, you know, when we, the YouTube and all this stuff just came on the scene, right? And so we were getting busy with our lives and whatnot. Um, so we just never had the time. And so is, it I guess because with, of, is it because of IDK? I don't care. <laughs> is that what it stands for? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, IDK stood for I don't know. And we had a lot of fun with that one. <laughs> but yeah, it was a little bit because of IDK too. But then uh, just life in general, you know. And uh, so we didn't haven't had a chance to put anything out there. Um, even just our old stuff, just never had a chance to put anything out there. So, yeah. Thank you so much for even a few things you give about you. Mm-hmm. Laura, you are the Office of Diversity and Inclusion of Mayo Clinic, man. And Rochester here, Minnesota. That's, yeah. You know, it's it's, it's, it's an administrative director role, you know? Yep. And that's amazing, man. So was, hmm? I've been doing diversity, equity, inclusion work for nearly 20 years. So uh, K-12 education up. So I did work in K-12, working with students, but also with our educators, uh, working on things like instituting multicultural classroom, teaching students or leaders or uh, leaders and our uh, educators, teachers about what does a multicultural classroom look like? What do we need to think about? Right. And then at the same time, the direct service to families uh, would provide uh, make sure that we had interpreter services for the families that need it. Uh, run after-school programs for the kids that need it, uh, run, um, bring in talent, different multicultural arts and speakers and whatnot to the different schools uh, to basically just raise awareness because um, it was a school district. Uh, and in Minnesota, many people probably don't know this, but there are a long time, a while ago, I should say a long time ago, um, there was a desegregation rule and any school that was and any school district that touched that school. So any school district that was 40% or more students of color had to create a disaggregation plan, what they call the disaggregation plan. And any school district surrounding, touching that school district boundary also had to create a disaggregation plan. And so um, there were, I think, uh, 10, eight or 10 school districts that were surrounding Maple Grove at that time, or Osseo, um, that created disaggregation plans. And I was one of the early folks to bring that on so did you see that early in the early state did you see a, a, that number correctly or not like was there more like 60 percent of caucasian and 
four oh. percent of just kind of your mixed kids. Depends on Asian, the school district. Black, whatever it is. Oh, it depends what it was. Yeah, okay. the school district. So Osseo School District at that point was already sixty plus percent kids of color, and uh, the school district I was working in, Rockford, was maybe five percent. So very stark difference, right? Uh, yeah. But because Rockford touched Osseo, then Rockford had to create a disaggregation plan to work in collaboration with Osseo in the work that they're doing. So. Yeah, you've definitely been in the field for the minute there. Uh, <laughs> you, can, you can call it that. <laughs> yeah, because you I mean you got your doctorates in Capella University, uh, and then also you have from St. John's your bachelor's political science as well. Correct. Uh, in which leading you landing your first job as in St. Paul Youth Service as a Southeast Asian Mobile Crisis Counselor, and you seem <laughs> like you have a passion for kids too. And I do. I started out a lot of my work, uh, even uh, volunteering or even working with youth. So I remember my first job as uh, in Minneapolis, and I was 15, 16 years old. And there was a boys and girls club uh, down the road from us, or a couple blocks away from my house, that uh, um, I got the chance to work with, work in because of Minneapolis uh, summer, summer work program. Um, and so that was my first foray into kind of the professional or workspace. Uh, I ran, helped run the gym, clean the gym, help run programs and activities for kids in the gym at the Boys and Girls Club, um, you know, with the coordinator, the adult coordinator, uh, planning different activities, trips for, during the summer for the kiddos that came there. And some of them were my age. So there were big kids just like yourself. They were, they were, there were some big kids, some high school kids. I remember that, that I went to high school with that lived in the neighborhood that came in. We play, would just play basketball a lot. You sure you didn't sign up just to be a part of the fun or you the <laughs> counselor there? <laughs> you, get, you can double dip, right? Get paid yeah. and have fun. <laughs> Speaking of this opportunity you had, uh, and being at that time of being a counselor and a diversity coordinators, uh, there was an incident that happened that was very, very bad. Because what I'm talking about, this kid or this boy was being very aggressive. And we're talking physically where he pulls a knife on his family. And you were kind of the first responder into situate this situation. Could you tell us about that? Yeah. So that was actually pay, um, St. Paul Youth Services, where I was part of the mobile crisis team. So that was my very first job out of college, right? So I just graduated in the, in the, in June of 20 or uh, in, uh, from June in, uh, from St. John's University in, at Collegeville. And in the fall, September, I started this job at St. Paul Youth Services. And uh, remember, I keep in mind, I, <laughs> my undergrad is in political science, right? And so I had no idea what I was doing really. Uh, working in a mobile crisis unit because usually the people that i was working with like adult other other adults more seasoned folks had psychology majors social work majors right full licensed social workers and stuff and here i am this young kid out of college with a political science degree right but i think one of the things that uh, got me the job and got me uh, ready for the job really that particular role is the work uh, just tagging along with Gutzina because Hope Jenna, you know, Pe Mongma 
family counseling, literally family counseling. And so sitting with my dad really helped my, me prepare for that. And so fast forward to that situation, um, we got called in and typically we work from like 12 noon till 12 minutes. And so we got called into a house and uh, in, in Ramsey County, so one of, one of the many houses, residents in Ramsey County. Uh, and we went in and the child was, you know, who was threatening to hurt himself and his parents with a butcher knife right in yeah and this is um i remember it being at least dusk you know and so we went in and we uh, the child was luckily already and so we didn't know what was going on yet but we talked one so two of us uh one of us stayed with the parents the other one went up to uh, talk to the child, and it happened to me being. Um, and I basically talked him down from trying to hurt himself and trying to hurt his parents. Uh, and typically in those situations, we would, you know, after they calmed down, we bring the child down, sit down with the parents, and work out a plan for the night, at the very least, what they were going to do to keep each other safe. Right. And um, so we did that. We did gave some resources. Um, I don't quite remember exactly what I said, but I must have been impactful enough where a couple of weeks later, the parents sent me a, a postcard or thank you note um, to the office saying, thank you. You changed my child's life. Uh, he has basically done a 180 think, from a, wanting to hurt himself and hurt others to being a better understanding how he needs to work with the family and be part of the family. So it was, you know, right out of college, a couple months into my first job and to have something like that impact, you know, have an impact like that on a, a family's well-being was pretty uh, profound. Not all heroes wears capes, man. <laughs> yeah, thank um, you. I give you a small golfer's clap from that. Thank because you. Because you changed this kid, this boy's life, his trajectory into a whole better person because good knowing what would have happened, you know, if he would have not stumbled in. Uh, I feel like this doesn't require some sort of education. It's just a common sense in how you handle it. And probably has the way, the way you were brought up because you looked at how your family and your dad, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and you could, you know, express the same feeling for this kid and, and granny he's not even your kid right not family he's just a, a random kid uh but the way you talk to him is you as if he was part of your family your son yeah. and, and your kid you're right yeah i mean that old african saying and i think it's true that they won't there right is uh it takes a village to raise a child and they won't this yeah right it's yeah you yeah more nuclear family man but i bet many people who are listening had Aunts, uncles, grandma, grandpas—not just your direct grandma, grandpa. My family is large, right? And so I had family from the clan, family members that were influential in your personal life too, you know. And so I think I, and when I was working in there, that's how I always thought about it. Every situation I went into, these are my kids. These are my family. So. I'm glad you had that mindset, and that is the right mindset to go in 
that you treat every one of these kids that gets your own kid, your own blood. Yep. Uh, and, yeah. And a lot of your uh, mentor or say to them did make it impact for the better of themselves. Yeah. Now I have no idea what happened to the child and how he's doing now, but um, I would like to think that he's in a much better place right now, doing better than what he would have been. That's amazing. You know, because of that, I mean, let's fast forward to Minnesota Monthly Magazine also wrote a quick article about you. And uh, in an article, you said, in all that I do, I honor my parents. Yep. Sacrifice and the lesson they taught me. Yep. Man, I applies <laughs> to you. Uh, uh, also, that can turn your own trajectory of your life and why you're more passionate uh, of what you do. Could you elaborate more? Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, in their early 60s, late 50s, but like many families, formal education, I should say, right? But um, they saw that the foresight to uh, put their personal successes aside to ensure the success of their kids and their family, you know? And so... Um, sacrificing what they could I think I want to say early, super early 20s you know so there's still a long life ahead of them right they could have still gotten back and gone in to get their GED and uh, get their college and education and whatnot and get good paying jobs but yeah there's, an, uh, there's the opportunity that they that yeah, go focus on Indana, edgy focus on Jenang Tichi focus on Taminyuana, that Taminyua would have gone um, bad, right? Chichitsia, like a lohana. So they sacrificed their own like education and whatnot to ensure that their family and us kids were put in the best situations. And not just us kids, because I, I remember growing up in a house where we had about 26 people living in. Yeah. Yeah. So Nengotaleng, right? So Kupakong Nita Ku Atu Yajitoshitoyuapaniatunda would spend two to three hours cooking for a house full of 20 plus people, right? And so think about the sacrifice that they had to make, not only getting through the jungle, you see behind me, getting through the jungles, living this life, right? This history of ours, but even putting their own personal success aside uh, so that the rest of the family could be successful. And so they supported my uncles to go through college, get their four-year degrees, their master's degrees, and whatnot, uh, and while my parents didn't. Wow, that is a lot of sacrifice, and that you are, you see that 
Laura, is that why you're so passionate and it brings you a tears inside? Why it does what you do and why you are to able to succeed into college and getting your doctors and such? Yeah, I think if there that's a big why, or or is that the why? I think it's one part of it. I mean, to her, going it's a doctor you told your lana yeah. Um, for my for me, would see there. I always say that uh, right and so what that means is you want to be in people's hearts not on their lips because when they're you're on their lips they're just going to talk about you right but when you're in their hearts they're going to be thinking about you and they they have a connection to you you know and so um that's one reason but my parents all their sacrifices uh really shown me that um what they've done has put me in a much better situation than if you're facing not people right indeed indeed lord uh there was a recent article you wrote a diversity journal and then the topic was do white men have a role in play in that and di as in diversity and speaking of now, we're in Minnesota, where it's a lot of Hmong base. Yep. You know, or a lot of other minority, but just yep. focus on Hmong. Yep. I mean, how can we, you know, pursue in that? Because there is three key points in, 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 the, in this, uh, what you wrote. It says, no shame, no blame. Yep. The second is, what's in it from them? Yep. Well, I could say for me, too. Or yeah. and lastly, engage them in leading and diversity, uh, you know, and, and the efforts of it. Could you elaborate more on that article? Well, I think, yeah, 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 uh, well, you did this, and that's why the world is such a bad place, right? We never talk about that. It's about giving people the skills or raising their awareness, first of all. Uh, what's happened and what's happened historically still impacts people today, right? So the redlining, for example. You've, people have heard probably about redlining across different cities. But Minneapolis, St. Paul, no different, okay? And the redlining, even though that took place 40, 50, 60, whatever years ago, and people, young folks today probably think that, oh, did you wanna she impact you, right? But it does. Red line cuts different communities apart. And those different communities that still that were part of the redlining still have you know worse outcomes when it comes to health. Still do, do not have uh, access to healthy food choices in their communities that they live in, right? So you walk down, you see all McDonald's and whatnot. Burger Kings and Taco Bells and Wendy's, these fat, fast food, easy to get, cheaper foods, but you don't have any access to fresh foods and produces, right? And so that was a direct impact of the redlining policies 40 years ago, you know? And so helping people understand that those, even though you didn't have a role in it, there's a role you can play in moving forward, okay? And so that's why the last point about, uh, the what's in it for me is now I understand uh, if this changes, if I help change this, 
how do I benefit from? Okay, so let's think about health disparities. Yeah, she impact or she impact community, man. But the reality of it is that it impacts us as a society, right? When when you think about when you quantify health disparities, there's an actual cost with it. So when people come back into the emergency room or emergency department um, after in less than three to five days for the same reasons, there's costs associated with that. And when we look at the disparities, oftentimes it's minority populations that have uh, higher disparities, right? And so when you quantify that, there's dollars. It's costing us as a society a large amount of money when there's these gaps in care. So finally, that third point is when you talk about um, involve them in the work is they need to be helping lead this and be part of that chain, right? Because they are also, you know, this isn't, this work isn't about the diversity, equity, inclusion work. It's not about black or black and brown and uh, indigenous folks led by black and indigenous and brown folks, right? It is about all of us. We all have a role to play in this. And so come on, flip that into Paypal community. When people talk about gender equity uh, or, um, you know, rights in our own Hmong community, uh, men have a role to play when it comes to ensuring that women have a voice. And I think uh, we've shown some of that in, thing, in things like having Paytatatu, uh, elected official, right? Right? And that, it wasn't because it's because that also leads to another article by you again by diverse journalists. There's just enough training, just in time. And this goes a lot more about the workforce and again back about uh, LGBT individuals, veterans, younger folks, yep. and people of color. Yep. Uh, could you elaborate more on that article? Yeah. So in that article, I talked about. Um, you know, the fact that training in self really doesn't work, right? But when you uh, give people what they need in micro and chunk and bite-sized pieces and, and help them understand quickly why it matters to them and give them those quick skills to uh, close that gap in, the, in that, uh, that skills gap, then that's when you can start to help people do something different, right? Uh, because they quickly learn that and they apply it. They will let the work is out, they like to talk. I let the work is out, they learn junk. Yeah, they're gonna keep doing it because it's been working for them, you know. So, I, I don't believe that we need to have and you think about YouTube, right? You can learn anything on YouTube within <laughs> seven minutes nowadays, seven to eight minutes nowadays, right? And yeah, so I'm, I'm guilty of it too. And there's some really good stuff on there, and there's some horrible stuff on the same time on there too. Yeah. yeah. But you think about the, the world we live in, Tashina, you can learn anything on YouTube. And I think that it's the same when it comes to professional development and those so called, whether it's a, yeah, it's so called soft skills. Uh, in the professional setting is there's there's ways to teach people in a quick manner that they will remember it and be able to practice it quick. Uh, and then after that, like, it's ingrained it. Man, after eight years of YouTube, I'm getting going to get my doctorate pretty soon here <laughs> as a YouTube. If they can certify me, I'm pretty sure 
I'll be honored to wear the bands. I think you're I'll not alone, man. <laughs> I'll be honest. Like I said, there's some really, really good, straight to the point content. And again, like I said, there's some horrible ones too. Like, what is this oh. dude or dude or chick talking about, dude? That's a <laughs> lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really bridging the gap and educating yourself and why you're so uh amazing of being an organized developer of coaching and consulting and diversity and inclusions man it's this amazing work that you do there lore thank you no uh yeah i've been doing this work for 20 plus years um i you know when uta benji about uh pre pre this recording and talk this uh, show we were talking about i was sharing with you that people who i've run into in the past who quote quote our diversity practitioners, I see a lot of people who either or quit, you know, because this work takes a toll on people. You know, you got to truly believe that it's not just your profession, but it's all passion. It's who you are. Um, and I think, yeah, probably is ingrained in Guna. This, this whole, I guess, the foundation behind inclusion, you know, that you have to hire multiple voices. You have to make sure that uh, you hear those different voices and there's those different perspectives. Um, the hall, uh, the, you know, I always say this when I, we talk, our, my team or other leaders uh, at Mayo or outside is, um, my approach has always been, I believe that the answer lies somewhere in the crowd, that I may have a small piece of it, but I may not have, I do not have all of it, right? And so when you're trying to find a solution to a problem or an issue, the answer is somewhere out there, uh, you know? And so that's how I've approached my work, even from the very beginning, uh, when I started this uh, nearly 20 years ago. Um, and that's how I still work today. Even when I started here at Mayo, uh, and starting the, the, the trying, trying to create a strategy, I didn't just come in and say, I know what we need to do because I've had this X number of years of experience. Nah? Yeah, I came in and we listened to over 200 people, invited 4,000 people, invited, uh, and, but listened to over 200 people give input, direct input into the, uh, our, the strategy we created. No, man, that's amazing that you are opening and being the medium of that voice and singing. And you're so passionate about it too. What drives you in that passion? I mean, you've been in this for the numbers and many more to come and buy retire of it. Yeah, I think I'll retire <laughs> in this type of role somehow, right? In some kind of role in this. If one. you do make some more YouTube video <laughs> and when we retire, I'll watch it. I'll be a subscriber. Great. Uh, no, I think, uh, um, just and I've been, you know, I've, I've obviously been asked this in different job interviews, similar questions. Um, I think it stems from the fact that Kumasato, when you're high school, I don't know about the listeners, but when you're high school, and this was back in 10th grade, 9th and 10th grade, so 90, gosh, 93, 92. Right. And we were studying, I think it was ninth grade civics class. And we were talking about the Vietnam War. Um, I do not remember the teacher ever talking about Fei Mong Ka role in it. 
you know? Um, and so that's kind of how it got, I, and I didn't, I didn't get to learn about, you know, obviously we read like Uncle Tom's Cabin, but chapters and synopsis of it. We read like a couple of ML, Martin Luther, Dr. Martin Luther King's letters from uh, a Birmingham uh, prison, you know, a couple of pieces like that, but never fully immersed into authors of color or, uh, or the history of other people. Right? Yeah. And so uh, when it came to the Vietnam War and not seeing my people, our own people not reflected in there, that I think was what one of the things that uh, drove me in the early stages to really help K-12 understand that there's multiple perspectives. You know, so even things like the, the you're in St. Paul, Minneapolis, St. Paul area, uh, the state capitol, there were black folks who had a hand in building and designing the state capitol, right? The, we thought about lynchings being gone, right? And most of it we associated with the South, uh, Southern uh, uh, portions of the United States. But one of the very last lynchings was right here in Duluth, Minnesota. You know, and so I think it's things like that that we don't the, the unwritten curriculum that kind of drove me into um, how do we make sure that multiple voices are heard, and then to transition to K or from K twelve into uh, uh, healthcare, it was kind of similar, right? Where why were many more marginalized and uh, black and brown and indigenous communities? Why did they have such disparate outcomes when it comes to health. Uh, and then that's when you can point back to the things like redlining, things like lack of access to resources, lack of access to healthcare, uh, insurance, uh, you name it, you know? So there's multiple factors. That and so I think part of it is really just trying to leave a better world than what I came into. I like that. I like that. You know, was there a dad that said to you, the language is the gateway for the culture? No, actually, that's something I've been thinking about a lot. I mean, you you know? think about Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, uh, how do we start to better understand the culture and cultural practices, right? what's happening right so the process that's happening during the wedding or funerals or whatever it is there's there's linguistic pieces that are tied to all those processes I think in the future you're going to see um, a dying off of the culture or uh, even this recording like yeah. And it's so many more of gapping 
the situation and realizing that and keeping the culture uh, and the language. And like, I, I'm, so, I'm guilty of it by the JTLA. Uh, good teach, Paul Hailu. You know, uh, you know, uh, yep. it's, it's wrong of me. I'm a grown, grown man myself. Uh, but I do listen to other individuals up there that has taught this, like another guy named Calvin who picked up those pieces, the fun right? And I'm like, listen mm-hmm. to it, like, oh, and he breaks it down very good detail. And you're, and you're, uh, one of them too that knows a lot about Kitai and culture. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't say I know a lot. I would say Kupo enough. Enough. <laughs> enough fair, to be dangerous to myself. <laughs> fair, fair, fair enough. I would um, never say that. <laughs> um, Laura, you know, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I would say I, I. You're right. I think. Uh, you know. I think. Uh, opportunity, yeah. We have, uh, and it's Bay community. It's a choice. especially there's a choice that we made to not Hailumong because we want to assimilate to be like the mainstream culture. Yeah. But I think about like, like the Kaha history in the United States, right? Where they were forced into um, boarding schools and forced to not be Indian huh? and not speak their language, not practice their cultural practices, not do what is identified as Kana, right? Um, and now they're having to relearn it because they have an opportunity. And so there's few of those people left that can still speak the language that are still, and now there's more. The Halamua uh, immersion schools now in both Minneapolis and Paul and other places around the world or around the nation. Especially, um, now, they have, now they're starting to learn, relearn their cultural ways, relearn their languages. Huh? Um, I hope that we don't fall into that in the future. Lord, what does it mean to be a Hmong man? Uh, <laughs> right? And when I was young, I was thinking, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> Right? What does that even mean? Isn't that the same thing? But it isn't, right? Because you can just be, if you just want to be a man, right? And you don't care what other people say. You don't care what other people do. That's easy. But it means that you have to not be so, you know, so there's this, you know, I teach in, in my trainings. There's this uh, whole individualism versus collectivism think, way of thinking, right? And so, and you can individually think about your individual self. So that's easy. But you have to think about, uh, you have to approach life from a collectivist uh, way of thinking, right? And so, got the decisions, it's not just about you. It's about about uh, or or whatever it is, right? The decision impact it could impact other people around you, right? And so I think that's when you think about it. Let your low, 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 let your low
ก็คือจะต้องมองมันอยู่อ่ะจับไปแต่ก็ต่อเจ้ากันยากอย่างตัวเสด็จนะยาง so I think that's you know that's I think that, that kind of is what hopefully that answers your question <laughs> it goes back to your saying it takes a village yeah to grow yeah. a child mm-hmm. yeah uh, You know, with that being, you know, with that, you know, with that being said, can you give the younger teens lore and advice to him, to his younger self? Um, believe in yourself. Um, never be ashamed of who you are, and. Um, Keep fighting through all the struggles. Noted. Lastly, Lore, been a honor talking to you. Where can we find Moria? Where can we find you? Know, find you? Give us a quick pitch. Um, I'm not very public, and so you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, and I certainly connect with me on LinkedIn, and then we can, uh, you know, people want to talk. I'm more than open to. Uh, people reaching out and either having a call like this, or a phone call, or emails. I've sat down with many young folks, helping them think through, you know, learn about what I do in the space of diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, but also just thinking about um, their own educational past, right? And so, more than happy to uh, talk to people through emails, LinkedIn, phone calls. Um, If you're on Facebook, I'm on Facebook too. Uh, I may not friend you because <laughs> I kind of leave Facebook to more personal friends and whatnot. But LinkedIn is for sure uh, one way to connect. There you have it. I can't, I can't thank you so much for the afternoon, morning talk here, uh, Lord. All right, what's up? Anytime, man. Um, more than happy to talk more about the work that I do, or even just uh, what we need to do. I think there's a lot of things we need to do as they, they, Jane and Mona, as we think about what does the future hold for Bay uh, in the United States uh, as this world is becoming so much smaller. Well, that ends our episode. If you haven't yet, visit our website at www.momentalk.com or find us on Facebook, Moment Talk. Lastly, if you're listening on on us on a podcast from Stitcher or Spotify. Google Play or iTunes, please give us an honest rating. Also, a shout out to DJ Peter. If you haven't yet, subscribe him on YouTube. Thank him for his intro, outro, background music. 